The low post is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. The Peabody and Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, My Old Borough, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets, the team that made me fall in love with sports. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams in their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and more. Cindy Lauper's involved. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app right now. I've seen it. It's awesome. If you like this team, watch it. If you didn't like this team, watch it. Plus, don't forget to check out In the Crease, the ESPN NHL podcast with leading experts on the sport, Hall of Fame sportscaster Linda Cohn and national NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. Every Monday and Thursday, Cohn and Kaplan will bring fans their insider perspectives, reporting, reactions, and analysis to the latest headlines and under-the-radar stories both on and off the ice. That's the In the Crease podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Friday morning where it has not been a great week for smaller mid-market teams with star young big men. And of course, we're going to bring in our star Pelicans reporter, Andrew Lopez, to talk about some of the stuff going on around that team. But we must start with an all-time bonkers week for the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have been an all-time bonkers NBA franchise for about 15 years now, with the firing of their general manager, Gerson Rosas, out of nowhere, days before the start of the NBA season, mere days after Rosas executed several moves, including an important trade for Patrick Beverly. It didn't exactly come out of nowhere, nowhere. As many people have reported, there were rumblings of some sort of cultural fracture or fractures within the front office. And that goes beyond what has already been reported and is true about the mess involving Sachin Gupta, who is now running the team, wanting to take a job with the Houston Rockets and being blocked from doing so. Uh, That even that situation is a little more nuanced and layered than has been reported, but it, it, it goes beyond, beyond that. There are a couple high profile departures in the last six months, including one that was purely voluntary but, but that kind of stuff, that kind of atmosphere is not completely atypical. Uh, Rosas is a relatively inexperienced GM, and sometimes it can take time to set up the sort of managerial coherence and structure that you really want, the culture that you really want. The sheer number of conversations these guys have to have is unfathomable. Sometimes communication can be difficult, uneasy, fraught. It's the kind of stuff that could have sorted itself out with time, and I do think the Timberwolves are set up to have an okay season, a play-in kind of season, and had that happened and the climate calmed a little bit, I think Rosas could have kept his job or at least gotten another season out of it and maybe longer if the season went well. So all that stuff was there. All that stuff was present. All that stuff contributed to the decision. But really, it doesn't happen without what has now been reported as, as an extramarital affair within the organization. That's why this decision was made now more so than anything else, I think, that was hovering in the background, even though it was hovering in the background. And so the Timberwolves move on. Sasha and Gupta takes over. They will presumably have a search for a new president of basketball operations or whatever title they uh, want to choose. And, and as we've now been saying about the, about the Timberwolves for X amount of years, 
They better get this one right because you can talk about, oh, should they get Ben Simmons? Should they do this? Nothing is going to matter until the Timberwolves get their own house in order, find the right person to do the job, keep that person over several years, let that person, allow that person, find the person who can establish a coherent internal culture. Maybe that is Sasha Gupta, who's well-regarded and is brilliant and all that. Maybe it's somebody else they will have to see, but they better nail this higher. Now, everyone wants to sort of ask, what does this mean for two principal players in the NBA. Number one is Carl Anthony Towns, who has a bundle of years left on his contract um, and is obviously going to be eyed by every big market team, hoping that this continued dysfunction drives Carl Anthony Towns to request a trade at some point out of Minnesota. What does this series of events mean for Carl Anthony Towns, who tweeted WTF when it happened? Uh, I don't think it helps. I don't think, I, I think it's largely status quo. I mean, I think I don't think any kind of trade request is on the horizon. John Krasinski reported that for The Athletic. Like, I don't, I don't think anything was imminent or is imminent. But um, if, if progress is not shown on the court and in the managerial suites in the next few years, like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know, I know it's not like a lock that Carl Anthony Towns is staying with this team for the next half decade, six, seven, eight years. I mean, nothing like that in the NBA is a lock. They better get the house in order. And then the other player people want to talk about is Ben Simmons. Uh, who the Timberwolves have pursued via trade to to not much end so far, in part because, as I talked about the other day on this podcast, it might have to be a three-team trade given Minnesota's talent base and what they are willing to give Philadelphia, what they're not willing to give Philadelphia, what Philadelphia might want, demand, request, etc. And three-team trades are inherently complicated. My best read on the situation now is that this transfer of power, just as it doesn't really change the status quo with Carl Towns, it doesn't really change the status quo with Ben Simmons. The Timberwolves are still interested in Ben Simmons. They will still pursue Ben Simmons. I don't think they're going to pursue him any more or less aggressively than they were already. But again, Ben Simmons plays for the Philadelphia 76ers, who are dealing with their own level of dysfunction. The Timberwolves need to sort of look internally and get their own house right first. Maybe part of that is trading for a player like Ben Simmons, but they just can't focus externally completely now. They need to get with the new ownership or the incoming ownership or whatever the right term is for Mark Lohr and A-Rod. They need to just get everyone on the same page, set a culture, go from there, because you cannot function turning over the front office amid controversy, tension every two, three, four years. It just doesn't work that way. And that's enough on the Minnesota Timberwolves, who could not even spell their franchise's name correctly in the press release announcing the sudden firing of their general manager. With that, let's go to an even smaller market and talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, who are a mainstay on the five most confusing teams podcast that I do before every season with Kevin Arnovitz, and so much so that I'm banning them from being in that podcast because they deserve their own podcast because they're that confusing and interesting and fascinating. Andrew Lopez, how are you? I am good, and I agree with everything. I think every year I've been at ESPN, they've been in that podcast. I was looking forward to hearing about them this year, but then I guess when you asked me on, I figured something was something was changing. Well, and for the record, I asked you on before the New Orleans Times-Picayune uh, released what was a fairly, uh, well, it wanted to be a fairly damning story about David Griffin, whose title, I don't even remember, it's such a weird title. The Executive Basket- VP of Basketball Operations. I've had to type why, that a lot. Why VP? Why executive? Why don't you just call him President of Basketball Operations? Call him czar. Call him something that's easier. But it was a, a would-be damning story about how um, he has failed to set a culture 
uh, a functional positive culture in New Orleans, despite a lot of rhetoric about family and love, etc., um, about uh, how some members of his front office have turned on him and snarked at him behind his back, about how there is a rift between Griffin and Zion Williamson and Zion Williamson's family, presumably about how they handled Zion's recovery from injury and return to play in his rookie season. Andrew, a lot of that struck me as A, old news dating back to like the bubble. Not, not that it's irrelevant, just that it was old. Just was a couple years old. Right. And, and, and B, maybe some sour grapes from people who aren't there anymore. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. But uh, I do think there are real issues here to dig into. I don't think that story just made things up out of full cloth. I think there's some real tension there, and, and, and particularly the Zion thing is interesting. What was your takeaway from that piece by Christian Clark, um, which really dug deep into the Pelicans? Um, what have you heard since it came out? What in there strikes you as actually sort of really relevant going forward? I think the biggest thing, and you, you kind of mentioned it, it, it dates back to the bubble. And uh, and even before that, let, let's just go back to the first knee injury. When, when Zion comes into to camp, uh, you know, his first year, 2019, back in the pre-pandemic days, I don't know if I can even remember that far, it feels like at times, but he suffers that knee injury. In the preseason, nobody really knows when that knee injury supposedly happens. The last game he played was against the Spurs. He has a double double in the preseason. Everything is looking rosy. Everything is look, is looking as as it was supposed to look with with Zion coming into the league uh, and, and setting everything on fire. Then that knee injury happens. It's six to eight weeks. He doesn't play for thirteen weeks. Zion has said on the record he hated the burst. He he hated the the, the burst of playing time that you, yes. you come in you play for X minutes come right out play for you X play minutes, for all four that. minutes and you're coming out and I remember he was like even in that remember that debut game the debut game against the Spurs and he hits the four threes in the in the fourth quarter and everything's going crazy and Alvin's looking at him like I got to take you out of the game I'm getting told to take like and he couldn't finish that and that was a sense of frustration I remember going into last season. I think the biggest smile that I saw on Zion Williamson's face was when I asked him, hey, man, how do you feel about not having a minutes restriction this year? And he lit up because he knew he could just play. Um, so I think a lot of it does stem from that. Going into some of the issues with with Griff and, and Z, you know, there has been some questions about the, the, the family, the structure that Griff is trying to build. As you mentioned, sometimes that, that does come from uh, ex-employees, you know, I, I do think there is some, uh, you know, some people inside the organization now who feel that way. But I, I think the biggest thing here is it, it kind of touches on where, you know, is Zion still comfortable? And kind of going back to what you and Bobby talked about the other day, uh, is he going to be comfortable enough to sign that extension next year or, you know, try to take the QO in uh, in a couple of years? So, the QO being the a, qualifying offer for people who don't know the lingo, yes. uh, the qualifying offer. If he doesn't take his extension and he goes through his fourth season without an extension, his rookie deal expires. When his rookie deal expires, he will be an, a restricted free agent. The Pelicans can make him a gargantuan offer. Uh, they also must tender him a one-year qualifying offer, which will be about $15, 16000000 million, something like that, maybe more. I don't have it in front of me, uh, to keep him restricted, to maintain their matching rights. And the mere tendering of said offer gives Zion Williamson the ability to sign it, commit to one more year with the Pelicans at $17 million, demure on almost $200 million, and then enter unrestricted free agency, 
presumably to sign said $200 million deal with another team. That is the doomsday scenario for the Pelicans. It is something we have not seen a player of this caliber ever do. We've seen stray guys here and there like David Lee, Greg Monroe have done it, I think, but not a player of this caliber. It, it, it is a, a, a risk it, it, to some degree. It, it is a risk if you get injured, although we've seen injured stars like Kevin Durant get the full bag. Now, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. Right. Um, I have Bobby Marks dismissed this possibility out of hand, poo-pooed it. You heard him, said he's not going to do it. It's too risky. Nobody's ever done it. I am not going to poo-poo it. Now, if you ask me what I think will happen, I think Zion will take the money because that's what agents are advising players to do. Take the money, get out later. I will say and have said he is the best candidate in the history of the NBA given his league-wide appeal, his off-court revenue streams, and his apparent to some degree, discontent, whether it's him, whether it's his family, whatever, with the situation in New Orleans, which, by the way, as we'll talk about, could change if they have a good year this year, and Brandon Ingram takes even another step, et cetera, et cetera. He is the best candidate ever to do it. Would I bet money on it? No, but I'm not going to poo-poo it as an impossibility like Bobby did. I am, I'm with you. I'm not going to to just dismiss this idea totally. He is, I mean... First of all, that, that qualifying offer is what sixteen or seventeen million. I think Bobby said the other day, and he's making. He's got NBA two K money. He's got Mountain Dew money. He's got Mercedes money. He's got Panini. Money. He's got money coming from everywhere. Well, Mountain Dew. He's got Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew. He's got. He's got his own. His own Mountain gifts. Dew. Maybe maybe they've sponsored this podcast. I don't know. Mountain Dew <laughs> is is pretty damn close to poison. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna it's it looks like poison. I feel you can feel your teeth rotting as it enters your mouth. That's my endorsement. I don't think I'm going to get any Mountain Dew money. I don't. I don't think so. I might not get any Mountain Dew money now. I don't, that, that might have been like the highest bar for me to try and get right now. Uh, but he's got all this stream coming in. He's got all this revenue coming in. He is the perfect candidate, like you said. I don't think it would ever get to that. I, I think if you get to that stage, I think you know if if. Even if it's next summer, if he makes that clear, maybe you make moves next year. But like you were pointing out, all this can go away if they start winning. And I, I really believe that. If if Brandon takes another jump this year, if Brandon and Z take a jump on defense this year, which I think is the biggest key, if they buy into Willie Green. I know it was not the top guys on the roster, but there was a different energy around the Pelicans in summer league with Willie Green. There was just a different feel around that team. A couple of guys that have played Najee Marshall, the Kyra Lewis's of the world. But, you know, I remember there was one day, one day game where, you know, Didi Lozada, their, their second round pick from a couple of years ago, uh, missed a bad three pointer. And Willie's like, you know, he calls him over, like picks his head up, does all that stuff. I mean, it, it just it was a different feel around the team. Maybe that gets through to, to Zion. Maybe that, uh, you know, helps this team go from out of the, the, the play-in to either, you know, they get in the play-in or they, they find the way to get the seven or the eight seed. But uh, I, I do think a lot of this is going to have to do with how Z and BI respond to Willie Green. Well, let's go back for a second to the bursts of playing time and all of that. Like, I, I get why that's frustrating for someone yeah. who wants to come on and take the league by storm. And all of us were waiting to see Zion. All of us. Like, he might be the most electrifying player in the NBA right now. I get it. 
I also do have some empathy for the franchise. Not, it's not like David Griffin is making these decisions by himself. It's a franchise-wide right. decision, ownership, training staff, who, who say, okay, look, you're, a, you're Lawrence Taylor, but a basketball player. We've never seen somebody running and jumping like this that's, this, that's built like this. You are not in pristine shape. We've never really seen you in pristine NBA shape in the NBA. We have to protect. We're, we're not. We're not protect we, you from yourself. We, and we're, we're and we're not like contending this year. Like it's it was never unreasonable for me, given the facts that I knew that the public would know that that the Pelicans decided we're just going to dial it back. Like that, I, I I understand why it's frustrating, but I I don't think it's like some crazy decision. No, and I don't know if it was maybe you know people in his camp who wanted him to get back so he could win Rookie of the Year or have some sort of accolade on that first year. I know, you know, they were frustrated from the six to eight. And again, that's stuff that had Zion has said that he wished he could have gotten back on the court sooner in maybe that six to eight range instead of the 13 week range. But, you know, sometimes I mean, you do have to protect players from yourself. And I, I will say this for the Pels four or five years ago, when, when, when Anthony Davis, when they made the decision to, all right, we're going to go all in Anthony Davis's second and third year, and we're going to try to make the playoffs right now. And we're going to get Ryan Anderson and Drew Holiday and Eric Gordon and Tyreek Evans. That group played like less than 100 minutes together, uh, it felt like, because everybody just kept getting injured. The Pelicans were always at the top of the injured minutes list. And now you go back to last year in a full year under Aaron Nelson with the Pels. And he was, I think they were first or second in least amount of in, uh, minutes lost to injury last year. I think they were right up there with the Bucks. Uh, when it was all said and done. So the stuff they're doing is working, but I, I still I understand the frustration from Zion wanting to get out there, having all this hype and trying to get out there and do it right away. Um, but I, like you said, I, I get it from the, the team's per, you know, perspective as well, trying to protect their investment. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Winning fixes everything. So let's talk about the likelihood that this team can win. Last year, they finished 31-41, and 41. lost seemingly every crunch time game that there was. Their point differential was closer to that of a 500 team. I guess that's reason for hope. Maybe. I don't know. They were 11th in offense and 23rd in defense. One of the reasons why they are confusing, however, is despite having the broad profile of a good offensive team and a bad defensive team, 
they trended the opposite ways as the season went on. Their offense got worse and worse and worse, and their defense was in the top 10 for the last 35 or 40 games of the season. So it's hard to know what to make of any of that. They were a horrible three-point shooting team. Their turnover spiked as the season went on, and they did not get a ton of shooting luck on defense as they improved. Like They appeared to be a legitimately okay defensive team. Then you throw in the amount of personnel changes that happened. Out went the starting backcourt of Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe, who was a complete non-entity for them. In comes Devontae Graham and Tomas Sadaransky who will come off the bench. Um, we have a whole bunch of other new players, but Devontae Graham was, was the biggest one. Out went Steven Adams. In came Jonas Valanciunas as the starting center. Uh, the, the starting lineup, I would presume that there are four slots that are locked in, and that's Graham, Ingram, Zion, and Valanciunas. The fifth is is we can we can talk about. Um, I I look at this team. I I, I have I, I can see the broad strokes of of a rotation and and what they might be. Um, I think their depth is better than it was last year. Like when you talk about bringing guys like yeah. Sadoransky, Jackson Hayes, Garrett Temple off the bench, um, Josh Hart off Trey the bench, Murphy the rookie, Trey Murphy who scorched summer league. We haven't even got to Kyra Lewis yet. Uh, Najee Marshall. I mean, we could talk about it again. I think Najee Marshall might be a candidate for that fifth starting spot. We'll see. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, too. Like, I think they're deep in decent NBA players. And in the regular season, that's a powerful formula. I just – I'm fascinated to see what what they profile as. Are they going to be – like, they look to me like a really good offensive team and an iffy defensive team, which is what they were last year, except they weren't that kind of team in the last three months of the season last year. So what do you see when you zoom out and you look at this team? Let's go back and look at where where they were as an offense in about mid-February. Lonzo was hitting threes. Zion was doing Zion things. Ingram was hitting. And then it, while they were top, like I just mentioned how they were really good in preventing injuries last year, all of their injuries hit at once. You got rid of J.J. Redick. You traded him away. He was your only real uh, good three We forgot to mention shooter. that whole kerfuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reddit gets traded. Hart, uh, in, in a, about a three-game span, I think Hart, Nikhil, and Lonzo all get hurt. You now have almost zero shooting coming off outside of Brandon Ingram. And everything just tanked. Uh, while your defense was getting better because you were making actual defensive changes. Yeah, we should have, we should mention that they, they changed their scheme dramatically yes. halfway through. I mean, rarely do you see a team midstream in a season – do almost a complete 180 in how they play defense. Right. And I guess the argument there was maybe that should have happened after game 10 or 15, and it happened after game 30, but it still happened, and the scheme sent the defense up. And if the offense would have stayed healthy at that point, you could have seen maybe the offense at least staying average and and going from there. But when they lost all of their shooting, okay, everybody can just focus on Z. Now, yeah, he still averaged 27 and on 61% shooting. And became, point, it, and became point Zion. And became point Zion, which is, I think, a huge factor. When you're talking about that starting lineup, that's why I could see – I think there's three spots locked up. Ooh. I think the three Ooh. I think the three front court spots are locked up. Don't I don't think, think the, Devontae you, Graham is a lock for that starting lineup. I think he's a lock for their finishing lineup, but I don't think he's a lock for that – I could see them going more defensive, going – if they're going to play Zion at point, I could see them maybe going Nikhil and uh, and Naji uh, at the one-two, where you're because you're you're really using Z and Bi as your your initiators in the offense there. 
And and then you try to figure out what's going to work at the end of the game. And then, okay, Devontae Graham, come play 26, 28 minutes a game and score the basketball and do what you're supposed to do. Um, so I, I could I, I think there's three spots locked in. I we'll, like we'll it. See what I like it. You want to bet a beer on on who starts at point guard in game one? I'll take Graham. You take uh, whoever you want to say. Nikhil, I'll take I'll take Nikhil. I don't drink, but I'll take it. I'll, I'll find the equivalent of a beer. I'll okay. find it on a menu somewhere. I just think <laughs> I now Nikhil Nikhil's and has been an average three point shooter, but he's certainly a willing and adventurous three point shooter. Who he's I think, willing. Who I think profiles is he'll become a good three point shooter. The reason I'm penciling in Graham, even though by the way I keep hearing about how Graham is this elite pull up three point shooter. He shot 29 percent on pull up threes last year. He was a very good catch and shoot three point shooter. Yeah. But I like he takes deep threes, and yes. I like that level of spacing. Like if I have Zion. In a traditional center, and you can talk to me all you want about how Valanciunas is a shooter. He's a traditional center. Let's be real. He's not shooting more than one three a game. He's a traditional center. When I have Zion and a traditional center, whether it's Zion and Hayes or Zion and Valanciunas, I kind of want to maximize the shooting in every other spot on the floor. And so I'm going Graham there. But 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 you know, to your point, I think they could go a number of different directions with those two guard spots. But I'm predicting Graham. If I had to predict, I'd go Graham. Alexander Walker and then the three front court guys. That's my predicted starting. I, I five. think that is. I think that's likely. I think that is. Like if I had to put, if I had to bet today, that's the five. I just, I when we talked to Graham, he mentioned, you know, I'm comfortable with any role. I can come off the bench and do all this. One thing I do want to mention, I, I am, I'm really interested to see what Jackson Hayes is going to look like right now. Word out of their 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 off season workouts is he was hitting a lot of threes for something that he started to do toward the end of the year last year. And I remember that was one of those things that Stan was kind of not as happy about. Uh, and he kind of wanted Jackson to be a traditional guy down on the block. I think he shot, but he was like six of 14. Um, one of those was, a, a, I think, a, a deep like half court, like a 60-footer against Cleveland that he made or something like that. But the form looks good. And he, he shot... I think a decent rate. I think he was like a 78% three-point uh, free throw shooter. By the way, it's a terrible free throw shooting. They're leaving like three or four points on the table every I think they yeah. were 29th in free throw. Now, a lot of that is Zion shooting 70, 69% or whatever. Yeah, he was Yeah, below 70. Eric Bledsoe cratered off last year. Steven Adams was at 44% last year. Uh, shooting, shooting I mean, it sounds line, dumb, so. but if you're last in free throw shooting, which they essentially were, you're just leaving four points three on the points. table every it's, game. It's a, Yeah, so... And then, and I mean, we mentioned how many clutch games that they have last year where they were just not that good. I think they were the twenty second. I think they were twenty second in clutch record last year, uh, per per NBA stat. So, I, I really want to see what how Jackson Hayes grows. They they were forced to kind of play him at the four last year, maybe a little earlier than they wanted to. There was definitely some Stephen Adams yeah, Jackson lineups, some Billy Herling Gomez Jackson lineups that didn't exactly work, but. Having him next to Z as is maybe I mean this is something he's supposedly been working on. Everybody works on their shot in the summer, but I mean I, I'm very interested to see what he can do this year. Well, I I think he's an important player for them because I've heard some of the same buzz not only about the jump shot but about I I, I think he's walking in as like I, I think Willie Hernan Gomez is out of the rotation. I think they're putting Jackson Hayes are going to be the backup five. We want your defense. We want we want you to advance as a defender and a rim protector. We know Willie is groundbound and slow. He's hurting our defense. We're not playing him. And not only that, I think Hayes, I think one of the interesting questions for this team is last year they staggered Ingram and Zion so that one of them was on the floor at almost all times. Uh, I think with Valanchunas, given how good an offensive player Valanchunas is, it would not surprise me at all 
if they experiment with sitting, resting B.I. and Zion together more, letting the offense run through Jonas and some of the other good bench guys they have, which means sort of by definition, Hayes plays more with the starters and with the core starters. I, I think he's an interesting and important player for their team. Absolutely. When he – there was a shift in him last season. Early on in the season, he looked like he was kind of going through the motions. Uh, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what – you know, he's, he's 20 years old. What, what is he doing? And then he gets benched for Billy Hernan Gomez like in January. And he doesn't play for a, a two- or three-week stretch. Some injuries happen. He comes back. And after that is where I was told, you know, he got in the weight room. He put on some pounds. Like, he realized, like, all right, like, I just got benched for Hernan Gomez, brother. Like, I can't have that happen if I want to go on this path where I want to go in the NBA. And it really kind of, you know, set him on that path of, of really starting to work, getting back in and decided, look, hey, maybe I can take this three-point shot, getting it and, and getting that together. He is going to play. I think. I think he is above him right now in the in the rotation. But like you mentioned, Brandon mentioned that toward the end of the year last year. Maybe that was in. I can't remember if it was toward like the last few games or maybe that was in his uh, end of season media availability that he would like to to have a little bit more time with Z. And he went from basically averaging. I think he averaged almost the exact same points per game. I think he went twenty three eight, twenty three eight. His stats. His stats look exactly the same. Shooting even a little better, I think. But his Zion numbers went from, I think, around 18, 19, 20 points a game to the 22, 23. And, like, they played more together. So they kind of started to figure out how to play off of each other a little bit more. And I, I wonder if Willie Green is going to, uh, like you just said, buy into that a little bit more, have JV, and whether it's JV and Sanaransky or JV and Devontae Graham, you have capable players who you can run, you know, I get your, essentially your second units and see where they go from there. Yeah, I, I think – and look, um, I think this team should be a really good offensive team. I know they fell off a cliff last year. You, you talked about some of the factors that, that are why. I think this should be – top 10 might even be pessimistic. I think it should be a good offensive team. Zion is a world beater. Um, a couple of things. Uh, number one, they're never going to get all that good defensively for a sustained season until Zion decides he wants to be good at it and cares about it. And they have not, they essentially have given up on ever playing him at center, which I think is one of the most yeah. Im- amazing, incredible, fun, just fun. It's just, it's like popcorn. It's not going to get you, it's not going to be good for you, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Down the line in three or four years, you hope that's an option they can go to when they're becoming a really serious team. Um, and the other thing is, BI, you mentioned, you look at his numbers, they're, they're the same. The shooting percentages are really good. I wrote a big profile of him at the beginning of last season, and it, it had a line in there about how one of their coaches or a couple of their coaches would always tell him, when you become the Pippin to Zion's Jordan, and they weren't comparing them to those players, just sort of the archetypal one and two right. of a good team, that's when we're going to take off. And what that meant was your numbers are good, your shooting is good. And this, this is the eye test for me too. Something is just missing in terms of all of that translating to winning. And I keep coming back to two things. His playmaking is just B, B minus, and he has the potential to be better. And defensively, he just hasn't been good enough. And and I I think I, I just think there I still think there's another layer to him and another level to get to. Maybe I'm being a cockeyed optimist, but I, I, I think there's another impacting winning level that BI can get to. And, and you can talk about all the additions and all the subtractions and all the changes. To me, it comes down to those two guys committing in those two ways. 
And then this team can be a top eight offense and an average defense. And then you have a roadmap to being pretty good right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think with, when you look at Brandon, I mean, he's still he, – they, they kind of used both of them as their point guards last year, right? I mean, Lonzo was really the, the full-court point guard. And then once he got into the half court, it was, all right, we're going to – you know, you're, not, you're a little bit down the line of what we're doing. Z, once he got the ball, averaged, I think, four or five assists a game once they really started to commit to points Zion. Ingram averaged five assists. But they, they still need one more playmaker with that group. Uh, just because they can sometimes, I think Brandon can get a little bit narrow in his focus on the offensive end. Um, Z just needs shooters. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think I, I think I really like Zion's vision as as point Zion. He, he was just getting it to guys who were shooting, you know, not not great percentages. I mean, Eric Bledsoe was out there for most of the time, or you know, Josh Hart's three pointer, you know, creator. And I'd like to see you know where, where he can get back to this year. But if for me, more so than they can be a top eight offense for them to still be that average defense. I think not only Z and Brandon need to, to commit on that end and, and, and take that jump. And like you mentioned there, I don't think they're going to really take a jump jump until Z commits on that end. But I think Brandon has to do the same. I do think their, their off season additions hurt them and their ability to get there because Graham is way worse than Lonzo and I think Valanchunas is who's a he's a way better offensive player than Steven Adams and I think will really help their offense I think he's a slightly worse defensive player than Steven Adams so he's okay um I I think how they how they craft a competent defense is the most interesting challenge for Willie Green and as you mentioned last year they started off with this just boxy pack the paint extreme help and recover scheme where they were just hemorrhaging yeah. threes. They couldn't execute it. They changed it. They dialed it back and they got a little better. I think Alexander Walker, he's he's six six and long. Like he's got the potential to be a pretty good defensive player. He has a rep as sort of a wild uh, score first offensive player. He's got a potential to be pretty good on that end, which is why I think he has a chance to start. Um, and Herb Jones, I don't know if Herb Jones is going to make the rotation, but the buzz out of practice is like I've heard, somebody told me we've, we're starting to nickname him not on Herb. Like not on Herb. You ain't doing that on Herb. Don't yeah. try that on Herb. Not on Herb. I don't know if he can shoot well enough, but I'm excited about what I hear about his defense. He he impressed enough right away to get a guaranteed contract. They knew. That, I mean, he's one of those second round picks. We know the trend right now for second round picks is try to find a two way deal for him or do something. They were giving him two guaranteed off the top, and he was impressed. Like he he was a guy who in in summer league. Looked like a guy who could guard one through five in 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 the summer league setting. I don't know how that translates to to actual NBA games, and I think he will spend a little bit of time in Birmingham with the, with the G League team after he moved down here. He's going to be an, a very interesting player, but I really like what Trey Murphy brought, and I think Trey Murphy is going to make an impact sooner he's rather gonna, than he's later. Play, he's playing day one. Oh he oh yeah you. You could make the argument to me that he, you could put him in the starting lineup and slide be Brandon to a two or whatever you want to do or how you want to do it, and I would be okay, I okay, but based on those workouts and based on what I've heard about, I mean, what I saw in summer league, Troy Murphy is going to be hard to keep off the floor for this team. I think their over under is forty and a half, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I think, I think in my pre. When we did the, the, the when we turned in all the record, I think I had them pegged at like forty two and forty. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to have any faith in in this team because they're just so weird every season. They've had three coaches in three years. I just I look 
like and and again, I think it, it's probably a good thing that a young player like Kyra Lewis might get squeezed in the rotation because they have so many guys. And, and maybe I'm too optimistic about Alexander Walker turning into an okay two two way player right away. And we're talking about rookies contributing and all this. I just look up and down the roster. I'm like, they got they got some. I mean, I don't. I didn't like their offseason. Let's be clear. I didn't like their offseason. I'd rather no. have Lonzo than Devonta Graham and Sadoransky. I didn't didn't really love that. I didn't love that they traded picks. Uh, to to free up space for Kyle Lowry and didn't do it and traded traded assets uh, here and there, um, I, but I do look at their team. I'm like, I, I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I might go over by like the teensiest of margins on forty and a half, and then I get I get like involuntary vomiting coming up my throat because I'm I'm afraid to do it. But I, I think this team should be pretty good despite all the noise and all the transactions that I didn't really love. I think they should be pretty good. I think their swing is maybe bigger than the. It's probably like a top five like swing in the NBA. I could see them winning. If everything goes right, I could see them winning 46, 48 games. If everything goes terribly wrong, I could see them in the third, like at 30 and 52 again. Um, to your Nikhil Alexander Walker point, he started 13 games last year. Now, a lot of this is skewed a little bit by that 37 point game he had against the Clippers early in the year where he was just on fire. But in his 13 starts last year, he averaged 19-5-3. and three. When he had a defined role in the offense, he was so much better. Whether that role was him being the sixth man or, hey, you, we, we need you as a spot starter, he took off. When he was, oh, no, if I make a mistake, I got to come out, He his shooting percentages tanked, everything tanked because he wasn't confident. When you have confident Nikhil who has a defined role, he is a much better player, and I think you'll see that this year. You know, potentially with him being uh, in that starting lineup or knowing he's the sixth man. Careful, I'm getting excited. I'm getting my, my I'm getting little butterflies <laughs> on my stomach. Careful, don't don't tease me. These Pelicans tease me every year, and it always goes wrong. Except for the one year they made the playoffs and destroyed Portland and almost ended oh. the Blazers. It always goes wrong. Don't tease me. They I should. Am, they I, should. Let's put it this way. They should definitely be better than Sacramento. I think they should. They should be better than Minnesota, who I actually am rather bullish on compared to projections. Forget, I, I'm forget, a big fan of Finchie. Forget, I, I do yeah, like fin- what Finchie's doing up there. Finch is a, Finch, Chris Finch is a real deal. Um, forget Houston and Oklahoma City who aren't playing with the rest of the guys. They're, they're better than – New Orleans is better than San Antonio. Um, and so if they're better than all those teams, like if I pick them to win more of the games, you're, you're in the play-in. Then you're thinking – Chances are someone above me on the Western Conference food chain is taking an injury, having an injury take longer to recover from than projected, having chemistry issues, getting off to a slow start and bailing out. Whatever it is, someone up there who appears untouchable now is going to be touchable. And I'm starting to get optimistic about the Pelicans. I can't help myself. I don't want to be. I don't want to be talked back into this team. This I. I'm a Nikhil Alexander Walker fan. I am big on Nikhil. I am big. I'm I'm a huge Najee Marshall fan. We 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 briefly talked about Najee Marshall. He was good last year. He he came out of like he came out of nowhere at the end. And he's another one who can guard two, three, four for them, really guard ones and pinches. I, I see it on your face. You're buying in. I need I see it. I need to I see it. I need to end the podcast and take a walk <laughs> without my phone. And just ref- just like look at the trees and listen to the wind rustle in the trees, and see what nature tells me. See what see what the crickets and the birds tell me. Because 
I, my my rational brain is now broken, and I and I'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Andrew Lopez. I need I need to get off this podcast. I need to take a break. Look, you do a fantastic job covering the Pelicans. You might be the coach of the Pelicans next year. The way things go there. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm glad everyone is safe in your family and extended family after all the storms down there. I, I look forward to seeing you in person, and we'll we'll bet a beverage of whatever choice on the uh, starting point guard spot. Andrew Lopez. Everyone should read your stuff. It's a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's bring in one of my old colleagues, one of my old and current friends, the number one person that I think of when I think, in the media at least, when I think of who do I want to talk about, the New York Knickerbockers with Ian Begley of SNY. How are you, sir? <laughs> Zachary, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm glad to be a current friend still. Uh, it means a lot. I'm, I, we were both talking about our families a minute ago. I hope you guys are well. Um, yeah, everything's good. Looking forward to the season starting, looking forward to seeing how things roll out here in New York and how year two under Tom Thibodeau looks. Let's talk about the Knicks, the big city Knicks coming off a splendid, surprising regular season in which they snagged somehow by hook, by crook, by sheer force of will of Tom Thibodeau's baritone voice and ill-fitting sweater vest, <laughs> snared the fourth seed and home court advantage, and promptly got put on their big old butts by the Atlanta Hawks in a five-game, not-all-that-interesting first-round loss that raised a lot of questions about was Julius Randle's season, all-NBA season, a fluke? Do the Knicks have a workable offense when they run into a defensive team that's competent and is going to scheme for them? What exactly is this team building? Then they had a very loud offseason, as you know, Ian Begley. Out went the starting backcourt of Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock, who is a critical part of their wow. team. In came Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, re-signed Alec Burks, Derek Rose. Three guys added in the draft. Mitchell Robinson is back as an unrestricted free agent. Sneaky, important kind of kind of storyline there. Nerlens Noel is back. Um, the East beefed up around the Knicks. Mr. Begley, let's zoom out for a second. What are reasonable expectations for this team? When you look at the East, you know, the Knicks were fourth last year. A lot of buzz. A lot of buzz about the short term and the long term. We'll talk about that too. I think 
I think it's reasonable to put six teams at least above the Knicks, which is something you would say is unusual for an incumbent four seed who got better in the offseason. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, Philly, who the hell knows, Atlanta, <laughs> and who did I forget? Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, Philly, Atlanta, and Boston. Boston. Yeah. And that would put the Knicks in the play-in tournament. Is that is that unfair? Is that fair? Where do you stand? No, I think it's fair, Zach. And I think one of the things that I heard a lot about was expectations after this season. Some guys internally were you know, a little bit concerned about where the expectations would be coming off of that season where they did things that no one expected them to do. You mentioned them making the playoffs, four seed home court in the playoffs. So I think there was a little bit of a concern about the idea that you're going to take a step back potentially no matter what you do, unless you have a crazy offseason, you had superstars, you might take a step back. And that I think is okay. I mean, I think that it would be rational to expect this team to be around that sixth seed spot in the East. It would be rational to expect maybe the winning percentage to dip a little bit uh, because of the factors that you discussed. And I just, I wonder how that is going to sit internally with everybody over there. But I think by and large, um, there, there are realistic expectations for this group coming into the season. It's not like the owner is expecting anything crazy and, and is going to react if it doesn't happen. The Knicks were 41-31 and 31 last year, which translates to probably about a 45-win pace over, over an 82-game season. Yeah, probably more than that, actually. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do the math right now. It's early in the morning. I don't care. <laughs> it's a lot of wins for a team that wasn't expected to get so many wins. It's a mark of a good team. They were, Mr. Begley, 22nd in offense, didn't shoot a lot of threes, didn't get to the rim a whole lot, 22nd in offense, 4th in defense, with the number one lowest field goal percentage allowed on both threes and shots at the rim, which has a lot of folks wondering how much of it was luck. But you know what? We wondered it all season how much of it was luck, and it sustained. I liked yeah. their offseason. I was on board with their offseason. I was one of the only people that was saying nice things about their offseason before the Kemba Walker signing, before it became crystal clear, partly because of your reporting, that all of these contracts were two plus ones, and in Fournier's case, three plus ones. I liked what they did. I actually think their offseason showed a pretty smart understanding of what this team did well last season, what they did poorly, and how realistic it would have been for them to duplicate what they did last season had they not made any changes. I think they did the right things. They upgraded their offense. We'll see what Kemba can give them. But we saw in the playoffs, Reggie Bullock was a safe hiding place for Trey Young because he doesn't dribble. They mm-hmm. substituted him with Evan Fournier, who can run a nice secondary pick and roll, shoots threes. Okay, I think Evan Fournier is overrated, but he's a solid player. Um, the Elford Payton was an absolute disaster as a starting point guard to the point that he was not the starting point guard by the end of the Atlanta Hawks series. Kemba Walker is a huge upgrade. Derrick Rose is here for the full season. They had a monster point differential with Derrick Rose. Zoom out, and I think the Knicks said to themselves, we can take a small step back on defense if the trade-off is a big step up on offense. And by the way, we have so much faith in our defensive infrastructure and our coaching that we don't think that step back will be as big as other people might think it will be. We think we can maintain a top eight defense, supplement it with an average offense. Bam, you got a pretty good team. I think that's actually reasonable. Yeah, I think that exactly. You hit the the thesis of the offseason, which is if you take out Reggie Bullock, you bring in Evan Fournier, you take out Alfred Payton, you bring in Kemba Walker. Obviously, they made some other moves, but with those moves, 
how much are you sacrificing on defense because Bullock and Peyton were important parts of your defense last season uh, and how much are you gaining on offense and uh, where does that leave you at the end of this season? That to me in a macro sense is what the off season was about. And, and Zach, I know uh, you and Bobby Marks hit on this on your podcast, I think recently talking about how free agency is just not there right now for teams in general. I think the Knicks, they saw that because early on entering that offseason in 2021, you know, I know they had talked to, to people around players who were going to be in that 2022 class. And they said, hey, you know, we're going to whatever happens, we're going to try to maintain our space for 2022 because we want to be in play for player X. And as as the offseason progressed, I think they got to read and the rest of the league got to read that, you know, that class is not going to be that great it's going to be Zach Levine but like all the guys that sign extensions it takes the juice out of that class and if you want to acquire a top player which they still do it's going to be via trade uh, that's the much more likely route than free agency and I think that was part of the reason why you saw them spend some money into uh, 2022 because of that reading because of what you and Bobby talked about last week well, and I think not only that, and this is what I said right off the bat when they signed all these contracts and everybody was apoplectic. Here go the Knicks, Nixon all around, kazooing all around the offseason again. No, what they were doing was saying to themselves, we're the Knicks. We're the New York freaking Knicks. And we've been a laughing stock for a long time. And you know what? We're not a laughing stock anymore. And, and we don't need to be a non-laughing stock for all that long until some of the star players around the league start looking at us and say, oh, they're, they're, they're the Knicks. They're... Interesting. They're the Knicks again. Look what happened to the Nets. The Nets were a laughing stock. Then they weren't for a hot second. Then they were a superstar free agency destination. The Knicks can do that via trade or free agency down the line. They can get cap space in two in two seasons very easily. We'll talk about all that uh, in a minute. Let's let's add, let me ask you a much simpler question. Who's the starting center of the New York Knicks? Oh, such a good question, Zach. And it's actually I wrote today, Friday. It is about that. Uh, going into training camp, excuse me, because Mitchell Robinson uh, was the starter when he was healthy last season. He was not healthy often. He suffered two significant injuries. I think he was limited to 30 regular season games. And Nerlens Noel really, really filled in adequately and was a big part of that Nick defense when Robinson was out. And he was a big part of why the Knicks ended up with the fourth best defensive rating. And then he signs a three-year deal in the offseason to come back to New York, Noel, that is. And Mitchell Robinson was extension eligible, still is extension eligible, but I, I think the Knicks have pretty much decided that they're going to let him go into unrestricted free agency next summer. So such an interesting, uh, just an interesting backstory there with the center position because they're going to be battling in training camp for the starting spot. Tom Thibodeau said throughout the year, like he didn't care who started and who finished. He was happy to have two really good rim protectors. Doesn't matter who starts. You guys all get obsessed with the starting five. I think Pay attention that- to who finishes. <laughs> ice, ice. Was that, is that, Actually, yeah, that's audio from last year. That's not. Yeah, that, I was re- I was replaying that. I'm like, I have a tape from his uh, his uh, an interview I did with him. <laughs> so he, you know, and, but he was right because they got great rim protection no matter who was in, who was out. It's just going to be interesting because you have Noel at around 10 million a year. Is he going to be coming off of your bench? And when you have uh, given him that much money, uh, I think Robinson. Uh, the starting job is his to lose going into this thing, but that's one of the fun position battles for the Knicks going into training camp up in Tarrytown. 
Well, that's that's one of I, I asked that question for this reason, because the, as I said, the Knicks were number one in field goal percentage allowed at the rim. Mitchell Robinson. Look, we've been waiting on the Mitchell Robinson leap for a while now. It hasn't really happened. He still has some of the same bad habits he's had, but he's still a damn dangerous deterrent around the basket. Nerlens Noel had a career season last year. Career season was absolutely outstanding for the Knicks. Steals, blocks, rim protection, a little more discipline on the boards, all of it, right? And when you think about how much of a hit is this team going to take defensively, if any, a lot of it comes down to Julius Randle had by far the best defensive season of his career. How much of that is sustainable? We talked a lot about how much his offense is sustainable. We should have the other, other side of the floor conversation too. Noel and Robinson, how much of that is sustainable? If those guys can answer those questions in the affirmative, I think Fournier is close to average, probably actually a little below average. That's fine. Kemba's a liability. If Barrett and R.J. Barrett made huge strides defensively and has, and has all the tools to be a good multi-positional defender, maybe across four positions, honestly, if mm-hmm. Barrett, Randall, and the centers can sustain what they brought on defense last year, I think, and, and you throw in, you know they're going to be well-coached and as well-prepared as any team in the league on the floor. You know that anything less than frantic effort is not going to be tolerated, and the consequences will be real if you do not provide that kind of effort. I think the backbone of maybe not a top three or four defense again, but a top seven, eight, nine defense, I think the backbone can still be there. I think this should still be a strong defensive team if those big guys in particular can prove that last season was who they are. And I'll just say one thing quickly about Mitchell Robinson. Um, Mike Woodson, who was an assistant with the Knicks last year before going to uh, Indiana IU and taking the head coaching job there, he spent time with Mitchell Robinson prior to last season. And he had questions at that point about Robinson's approach and, you know, willingness to be a professional, to work every day, to do what it takes to improve. But then by the end of Woodson's time with Mitchell Robinson, he said, you know, this kid is ready. He's matured. He's approaching things the right way. So that to me was, was interesting and potentially important when we talk about Robinson going into this season. Does he take that next step because of uh, the maturation process? But by and large, Zach, what, what you said I think is accurate because it's it's so hokey to talk about culture and standards. But with Tom Thibodeau, you know, he established day one last year the importance of going hard, going 100 percent, giving it your all on defense. If you didn't do that, you weren't going to play. And that was that, that's real. It's not just yeah, lip service no, with not. tips. It's real. 100 percent. And so because of that, I think that the guys coming in, Campbell Walker, Evan Fournier, they'll be held to that standard. And just based on that alone, I don't think that they would regress to like a middle of the pack defense this coming season. But it's a it's a test for Thibodeau. It's a test for his coaching staff um, to get these guys to defend as a unit. One thing, R.J. Barrett, very great wingspan, great strength. Reggie Bullock often took on the opponent's uh, top perimeter player last year. It's going to be interesting to see if that falls to Barrett or how they work that going into the season. The other thing I'll say is, Peyton to Kemba is a defensive downgrade just in terms of size and physicality, but I don't think it's nearly the defensive ground downgrade that people would make it out to be. I think Alfred Peyton is a liability defensively. He gambles. He's a space cadet. I think he's overrated defensively. So I don't think that hit is going to be as big as people think. So let's game it out then. The starting five, let's just say Noel wins the job. Let's just say for fun Noel wins the job. Mm -hmm. Kemba, Fournier, Barrett, Randall, Noel. Rock solid, should be a good lineup. 
bench, and you know Tibbs is going to go five man bench unit for a good part of the good part of every game. Rose quickly, Burks, Toppin, Robinson, Todd Gibson, and their kiddos as sort of your emergency break in case of whatever guys. That's a solid bench unit. I mean, you know as well as I do, Derrick Rose plus quickly was plus fifteen per one hundred possessions in the regular season. Rose quickly, Burks plus twelve. They were just regularly destroying opposing benches, less effective in the playoffs like every other part of the Knicks team. It, like, I look at that team quickly in year two. Maybe he shoots it about the same from three and gets a little better at every other part of his game. Playmaking, I mean, the floater's already there. I, I don't see any reason. I, I don't look at that rotation, 10 guys. And by the way, you can, you can play nine and a half guys by staggering minutes this way or that way, whatever you want to do. I don't look at that rotation and, and say to myself, I look at it rather and say to myself, there's not a lot I'm worried about there. Like, especially if Toppin can show some progress in, in, in his second year. Would I like to see like a little Randall at center here and there and Barrett at the four, a little Toppin at center, like a little more flexibility and experimentation? Sure, maybe. But I look at those 10 guys. I'm like, if I'm the other team, there's not a lot for me to like pick on or, or think like I can exploit this or that. Like, it's pretty solid. And you know what? We're going to hear from Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose and Scott Perry uh, Friday morning. I don't know when this is posting, but we should hear from them later this morning. And I think they're going to talk about the depth of the roster and how that's a strength of this club because, you know, you went down the line and they have 10 players. I mean, I guess depending on how Toppin looks in year two, uh, 10 solid rotation players. And the thing that happened in the playoffs last year that I thought was so interesting was you had Derrick Rose and you put him in the starting lineup. Not only did the bench fall apart, but the offense looked different. The spacing with he and Randall in the starting lineup, it didn't look great. So, Rose and, and he set. and he wore down Derrick Rose wore down and the Hawks yeah. wore him down on purpose right with smart coaching by Nate McMillan and he actually was so exhausted at the end of I think it was the last game that he asked out of the game and that you know you would never expect that from Rose or or a Thibodeau player but he was just he was shot he was tired so I think the Knicks learned a lot about how best to use Derrick Rose moving forward you mentioned Emmanuel quickly I think Obi Toppin was a lot better on the court with Derrick Rose last year. He was more comfortable. He was getting good looks. Rose looked for those guys regularly. So that bench unit can bring that same chemistry back that they had last year. Depth should be a strength for this team. The other thing I liked about their their offseason acquisitions aimed at offense is it's not just talent, it's diversity. The Knicks were last in pace. They played at the slowest pace in the NBA. They were awful in transition when the rare times they did get out in transition, they were terrible. They were number one in isolations. Julius Randle was number one as an individual in isolations. I think they outkicked their coverage, so to speak, on their efficiency on those plays. And they just need a little more diversity in their offense. Like, they just need more pick and roll, more drives, more transitions. They were too stagnant. They were too predictable. The Hawks exposed that in the playoffs. They have much more optionality now, more pull-up three threats with Kemba, just more variety more of everything because I think they they looked at how their offense functioned last year and said we squeezed every and by the way their offense got better as the season went on they were an average offense for the last you know the for 40 games of the season partly because they shot 39 percent from three which was second in the league I don't know if they could duplicate that I think they looked at that and said we just need to to add a little juice a little variety to our offense and I think I think if they're smart and well coached and they should be even though Tibbs is always going to emphasize defense we should see a Knicks offense that right away just looks schematically much different than it did last season. I, I hope that's the case. 
I think it is. And, you know, I think they knew, they knew going into that offseason that they needed shooting and they needed shot creation. And you could see that they checked those boxes as well as they could uh, this past summer with Kemba and Fournier. And I think what you're going to see is better spacing with that starting unit because Alfred Payton – uh, was not not a threat to knock down a perimeter shot. I think he was was better defensively, maybe than you give him credit for. But maybe I'm a little. I have a soft spot maybe for Alfred Payton because the Nick fan out there was crushing him all year. He did uh, get crushed. He did get crushed. he be, he became. There's always one guy that becomes the avatar for all fan frustration, and it was Alfred yeah, Payton. It was Alfred, and I thought you know just because of that, I had a soft spot for him. But anyway, I do think that yeah, spacing is going to be improved, and with it's going to be interesting because so much went through Randall. Last year, all year, playoffs, it was going through Randall. The ball was touching his hands every time, and and he was making things happen. Is there less of that this season because you have some different playmaking? And if there is less of that, how does that look? How does that impact Randall positively, negatively? Uh, So that's something I'm going to keep an eye on early on. The other thing with Julius Randall, can they manage his minutes a little bit better? And that's, to me, about Obi Toppin and can he give them regular minutes off the bench as a uh, backup four. He in the 90s, Ian, in the 90s, nobody batted an eye when the starting power <laughs> forward played 39 minutes a game. Look at the minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm the minutes, I, lo- please, I, love I guess. I love to. Did he win coach of the year last year? He did. I, I voted for Monty Williams. I voted Monty Williams by a hair, but Tibbs is just... If you want to win basketball games, hire Tom Thibodeau to coach your team. He's just a great coach. The other thing about their offense is they were kind of average in, like, free throws, offensive rebounding, turnovers. Like, they didn't get much out of any of those things in terms of, like, boosting their offense through those secondary categories. If they get good at one of those things this year, that that, that could be a game changer, too. And you just zoom out. Like, put Milwaukee and Brooklyn on their own tier, right? Like, those are the two Mm -hmm. best teams in the East. Miami, Philly, Atlanta, Boston. That's your sort of presumed non-play-in group below Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn. One of those teams is going to have a disappointing season. That's just how the NBA works. One of those four teams is going to find themselves struggling to stay out of the plan because of injury, bad chemistry, whatever the hell is going on with Ben Simmons, whatever it is. And that's going to pry open an opportunity for Chicago, New York, Indiana, Charlotte, whichever of that group of teams overperforms expectations, stays healthy, whatever, to finish above the play and above where people think. And I think when people look at those teams, they're most interested in Chicago because of the big moves they made in the offseason and the sort of all-star talent they added. The Pacers are always competitive and right there. There's sort of this presumption that the Knicks will slip, 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 slip. Like I, I, I might put the Knicks... At the top of that next group of teams, or right, or right about there, like I, I, it would not shock me if the Knicks got into the top six again. I, I would not predict it. Like I think those are the top six teams in the East, and everyone else is in the play-in race. Mm-hmm. But I think, look, the Knicks may not play at this same winning percentage pace that they played at last year. But I, I think this is a good team. You know, I think just big picture again, Zach. You we're talking about team building in a big picture sense here with Leon Rose and. William Wesley, Scott Perry, Brock Aller, Tom Thibodeau. Um, you know, the goal ultimately, obviously, is to win a title, as it is for every uh, every president, every GM, every front office. But the thing that they're not doing, which kind of impressed me, was they're not going for the home run swing too early because you only get one, right? You're, you're, you don't get two. And so whatever their big move is, 
it has to hit. If it doesn't, it's not going to work. We all know that. But they didn't rush it. Like they saw what the team did this past season, and you mentioned it earlier. They said, this is where we were good. This is where we were bad. Let's address our weaknesses and incrementally improve. And, and they didn't go out and try to do too much. And to me, showing restraint like that matters because you haven't seen that often from Nick executives of the past two decades or so. You know, uh, does- you're, you're saying this, you're saying this, and I'm, I'm getting the shakes already because it, <laughs> it reminds me of two, two or three days ago, I had John Krasinski of The Athletic on my podcast to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves and how we were both like slightly optimistic about their chances this year. Mm-hmm. And John Krasinski said, and look, we'd all had heard rumblings that there was tension in their front office and this and that. And John yeah. Krasinski at the end of that podcast said, you know, the thing is though, Zach, Something always happens to torpedo this team's chances. Something always happens. And it's boom, inevitable. a whole lot of something <laughs> happened. So when you start saying well, the yes. Knicks showed restraint, the Knicks, I, I get the shakes because I've heard people say this before, right. and I get nervous, Ian. I get nervous. Talk me out of my nervousness. <laughs> well, listen, I, I can't because I've seen it happen. It's inevitable. The other shoe always drops at some point for this team. The one thing I'll say, though, I, I mean, I've heard that over the course of this year and a half of Leon Rose and William Wesley, and I've heard that the relationship and the communication with Jim Dolan has been solid. And, you know, you haven't, there hasn't been that off the court uh, disaster where they slip on a banana peel and everybody says same old Knicks. Um, I don't the want the communication. Else. I don't want the communication with James Dolan to be good. I want James Dolan to be locked in a closet somewhere with duct tape around his mouth so he can't have phone conversations with anybody who's running the team. That's what I want. Well, I think that he he writes the checks and he's let these guys do their job. And I think that's been the case since Phil Jackson, largely. Now, that stuff has happened off the court, the goofy stuff with fans, obviously the incident with Charles Oakley that really hurts uh, hurts how people look at this franchise. That hasn't happened, though, since Rose took over. Is, are we on the verge of something happening that no one could see coming? Who, who knows? We don't know. But so far, it's been strong. And I think the, the relationship between the front office and Jim Dolan for the Knicks is an important one um, because if, if the relationship is poor, changes are always on the horizon there's impatience uh but we haven't seen that yet and to me that's a positive thing when you talk about is this going to last are the knicks going to be stable moving forward and uh, one thing about the timberwolves i mean it's amazing i think they've taken the mantle from the knicks if if you're looking at you know dysfunction circus like atmosphere have they taken the mantle first of all the the circus is the circus gets a bad name in this metaphor because the circus is fun People I love the circus. Money. People pay money to go to the circus and wash their troubles away for a few hours. We need to think <laughs> of a better metaphor for these dysfunctional teams. That's why Dumpster Fire picked up like 10 years ago because the circus yeah. is too – so let's end with this. You mentioned you only get one bite at the apple, one bite at the big home run move. I think what that really means is you only get one trade bite at the home run move. Like you put all your eggs in a big trade basket. you got nothing left to trade. You can still have a second home run move, and the Knicks have the ability to open up cap space after the 22-23 season and beyond if they play their cards right. So let me ask you this. When we talk about the trade home run move, let's say things don't go well in Portland this year. Should the Knicks' home run trade be Damian Lillard, who's 31 years old? Or should the Knicks hold those assets? Because you only get one chance to trade an R.J. Barrett if that's what it takes. You only get one chance to trade your three firsts and your three swaps. Should the Knicks hold that and say, you know what? We think somewhere, 
somewhere there's going to be an under 28 star that becomes gettable for us in the next two years. And we're going to hold our cards for that. What do you think they should do? And what do you think they would do? My opinion is to wait on Lillard. I don't, I don't think that's the move. I think it obviously depends on what Neil O'Shea wants back and do the Knicks, are the Knicks able to satisfy what O'Shea wants? What does that include RJ Barrett? I assume it would, but I don't think that's the move. I think you let this roster, you let this young core continue to cook, continue to develop chemistry. And then I think my guess is they're thinking kind of what you said, like there's going to be somebody else out there, no matter who it is, that's maybe a little bit younger um, that we can wait a little bit on. Let's hold off. Uh, let's hold our chips and let's wait to see that come to fruition. But listen, with Lillard last summer, when there was so much confusion about his status with Portland, the Knicks, like I'm sure every other team, were talking about scenarios and we're talking about what would it take? What would we do? Uh, I think most people were on board with, with getting him here. Uh, but to me, the smarter play is to wait to see if there's that that younger star that gets disgruntled and asks out, and then you take your big swing. Either way, if you want to do something really serious, 55 wins, conference finals, beyond, whatever, you're going to need something else beyond Damian Lillard plus Julius Randle plus whatever is left over. That's not good enough. I think that's the case whether you get Damian Lillard or your first big move is young player X. I don't want to name the young player X's, Y's, and Z's. It's not fair to those fans. Maybe another time. Young player X plus Julius Randle plus whatever is left over isn't probably good enough either. You need star two to come in. So maybe it doesn't matter because if, if you get Damian Lillard, you're still going to be looking for star two. If you get player X as your star instead of Damian Lillard, you're still going to be looking at star two. I just think – I look, I think Damian – I've put Damian Lillard on my MVP ballot either two or three years in a row. Like I, I'm a true believer in Damian Lillard. Like flat out apex superstar – incredible player. He's 31 on a huge contract. If I'm giving up the whole kit and caboodle, if I'm giving up Barrett, if I'm giving up quickly, if I'm giving up all my picks and swaps, that's a hard decision for me to make. And if I think, because I can back channel, I can do all the things that the Knicks with World Wide West and Leon Rose and all the connections we've got, I can do all that. If I think, if I wait a year, I can get another guy who's 27, wants to come here, for that same price, it's hard for me to resist Damian Lillard, but I, I at least call a meeting and take a vote of everybody. And if the vote is wait, I'm going to abide by the vote. Yeah, Zach, it's interesting. You mentioned that third star. I think part of the thinking with Lillard in last offseason was, well, we get him and then he brings us somebody else. I, I know that there was strong interest in DeRozan if they were going to get Lillard. Um, so it, you're right. It wouldn't stop there. I you guess see, it would De, be De, about... DeRozan, Lillard, Randall is not getting it done. I, I understand why no. people think those are big names. That's not a championship. That's not a championship trio. No, but I think it was like taking the next step with these guys. I think that was that was part of it. And then maybe you attract somebody else. DeRozan on a short Fair. deal and you attract somebody else. Fair. But you're right. It is about that third star. And so... I'm with you. I would wait. Um, but regardless of, of what they do, that first trade, it's got to work because you, you're not like you're making that trade with the idea of getting st- star three. If that's the plan, uh, that first trade has to work. If it doesn't work, uh, you will more than likely be out of a job. So that to me is how 
this regime and really every regime gets judged on their biggest swing and whether it works. We haven't seen it from the Knicks yet. I think they're right not to take that swing yet. Ian Begley, SNY, you got a, you got a TV show, you got a column, you got everything. Um, you are a machine of Knicks coverage. I miss you. I miss working with you. I hope I see you at MSG this year. That would be that would be nice. Your beard, your beard, which the listeners cannot see, is absolutely impeccable. Um, it's <laughs> always good to see you. I wish your family well. I hope to see you at the Garden. You do fantastic work. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you, Zach. Likewise, I, uh, I would love to have you on our show, The Putback, at some point during the year. If you could fit us in, we'd love to talk Knicks with you. Of course. And, uh, and listen, all the best to the family. Would love to see you at MSG for a variety of reasons. Let's hope that happens this year. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.